Hi, welcome to Mandy Land. Today I am talking with my very dear friend Lindsay. That's Lindsay with an AY, not to be confused with Lindsay with an EY, who I live with. Lindsay with an AY is also a friend from Halifax who I've known for uh, probably almost 15 years now. About eight years ago, Lindsay got involved with the now famous cult Nixium, led by Keith Rainier. In June of this year, so that's 2019, Keith was convicted of federal crimes, including sex trafficking, conspiracy, and conspiracy to commit forced labor. His sentencing is at the end of this month, which is October 2019, and I've been talking with Lindsay about her involvement since she started back in 2011. Then this past summer, two years after she left the cult, we decided to make some podcast episodes so she can share her experiences within the cult. Today, I share parts of my conversation with Lindsay about how she feels today, two years after she left, as she heals and lives with PTSD. So how are you feeling? Good. Um, Actually, I'm good, but I'm exhausted a lot. Really? Like, I'm tired. Yeah. I feel like I... I don't know. It's like if you compare it to like somebody who played the best analogy I have is think of somebody who played like a professional sport their entire life and they've devoted their whole life to their career. And then all of a sudden the career's done. There's like, there's nothing more to achieve. Yeah. That's how I feel. It's like, what now? Like, how do you go back to normal life? You know what I mean? Wow. So I don't really have much motivation and like, I just, I don't know. It's like, I don't care if I could not work and just like, if I had money, I would be fine not working. Right. It's weird. Yeah. So, um, I had a lot of health issues come up this year. I think like, like I did so much work mentally and emotionally the last couple of years And then this year, my body just broke down. It's been like one thing after another. Nothing serious, but like enough to set me back. So I think the physical effects of PTSD and adrenal fatigue are like very real. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've never questioned it, um, but I, it's nice. Well, it's not nice, but it's interesting to feel that firsthand. Yeah. And I've heard other people say that they're like, you know, adrenal fatigue is very real. And, and I, I had no idea, yeah. like naps in the afternoon, sleep 12 hours a night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't function like I used to. I just can't like even the littlest things. If I feel any, because my life is so zero stress right now, yeah. I, if there's a little bit of stress, I feel it. Yeah. And then it takes me some time to recuperate from that yeah I mean our body is just not designed to undergo that amount of stress like that system is really developed to be acute it's like okay yeah something and I get away and then I recover and and when you're in a situation like that there's no 
there was no recovery. Like there's no literal recovery period when you're continually getting triggered by things. Right. And yeah, just like, it's not, it's not how the body was designed to work. And so it, so now you, you're sleeping, like you have to, cause your body yeah. literally exhausted. Yeah. I just read an article recently that our bodies are actually programmed to deal with major stressful events like yeah. the fight or flight, right? Yeah. It's like the everyday accumulation of stress. You can only take that for so long. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes sense. I know. But yeah, I think I was thinking of how like the last few years have gone. It was like the first year I was so numb and I couldn't even think about what happened to my brain. Like there was just no registering it whatsoever. And slowly, after six months to a year, I started to come around a little bit, but I didn't fully comprehend or do any deprogramming. Yeah. And then I was just in survival, like, like day, everything was day to day, just in survival mode. And then I started, once it started to come out like the truth, then once I started to learn what really happened, then I started to go through this process of like mentally and emotionally, but like severe panic attacks and just under like, like I could not sit still for a second. And yeah, then it just, once I went through a year of like deprogramming and getting stronger mentally and emotionally, then it was like my body took the hit. It was like my body could finally like let go because it trusted that it was safe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it didn't, that didn't happen until I came back. And Cape Breton is so comfortable for me. So I never really had to, there's just so much support and familiarity Yeah. that it was, and it was what I needed. It was easy. But then going to Vancouver and trying to like get a normal job and, you know, in your thirties, life's very different than in your twenties. So that was just a huge wake-up call. When I finally got back last fall, I was like, oh, my God. I felt so free. And then I just, I went on medical leave, and I haven't worked since. Oh, really? I was wondering. So you haven't been working? I haven't worked. I went on a medical leave for, I got about 13 weeks. And then I've been on, I've been on a fixed income from the government since October. Wow. And I have it until this October. And it's been a gift. Yeah. Like really it's been a gift because I, I haven't been able to do like I I've been teaching yoga since January, but it's like that even to drag myself to those classes took a lot out of me. I bet. Because <laughs> you're giving so much of yourself, right? You know that that kind of work. It's like you're dealing with a lot of different people, a lot of different energies and teaching you just you have you know, you have to be on and like connecting. <laughs> God. When, so I'm done that. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you, you said deprogramming a lot. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, was this something that you did yourself or was this through the help of your therapist? So in 2017, I went to Los Angeles because, so when I was in, there were six of us women who were working with Keys. Mm-hmm. And we were the yoga group. And one of those women had just left. So I was the first one to leave. And then she was the second. And her husband 
I'll just give you some backstory. So her husband was one of my bosses. He was partners with Sarah for the Vancouver Center. And he was the high rank. He was Keith's like right hand man. His wife was in the yoga group with me. Okay. And he hadn't, he hadn't been out yet, only her. He was still in New York and she went back to LA and she was there by herself. And I was like, and I was ready to face it. Like the relationship I was in, I knew it was ending. And I was like, I'm, I'm ready to face this. Like I need, I need answers and I need to know what happened, what's going on. Because if she left, something's up. Right. So I went out to LA for a week and I spent a week with her and we, her and this other girl who left too, we went on a hike on Griffith Mount. I'll never forget this moment because like the relationship that I was in, he was like, you're like a robot. Like that was like PTSD. Like my body just felt so numb and frozen. And I was just like, and that's how Keith programmed you. It was like, we were robots. And we got up to the top of Griffith Mountain and I was like, she started to tell me like all these things about Keith. And then she was like, he's a sociopath. And this, we didn't even know how bad it was then. And I just, once she told me, like, it was a cult and, you know, we were duped, basically. And um, my whole body, like, broke down. I just, I don't, I can't even remember if I cried in those, in that couple years at home because I was that numb. And I just, my whole body... Because, like, it was, like, no matter how much yoga I did, I couldn't, like, my body just would, my muscles would seize up. Wow. So I finally, my whole body just let go, and I just, like, bawled my eyes out. And I wanted to throw up. Like, I almost puked. It was just, like, it was, like, my body could, my body knew, but my brain didn't understand. Right. Do you think so, your brain actually didn't understand? Like, or it's like, like I knew something was off. Right. But it was like my body knew before my mind did. That's, that's, what, that's what got me out of there, was that I had such horrible feelings in my body, and I, my body felt cold, and I felt this, like, aching pain and these pits in my stomach. And I was just like, I know when I feel that cold feeling, it's time to go. Right. And it felt just dark. It's an it's an energy thing, you know. Like yeah. there's yeah, it's like you just you know, but your brain's kind of like my mind was kind of like confused, I guess. So once she told me that my body broke down, and I spent a week in LA with them, and it was so nice because I thought when I came back to Nova Scotia after I left New York. I had to change. I threw out my computer and my phone. I had to change all my social media accounts, my phone numbers, everything, because they were like, they wouldn't leave me alone, right? And they were calling my dad. And I just found out actually that Claire called my dad. Really? She was calling. Yeah, she was calling him. He didn't tell me. He didn't tell me until last week. Wow. Yeah, so I just didn't feel safe. And I thought I can never see or talk to any of these people ever again and then that week in LA I was like it was such a relief because I was like okay I was I wasn't in the wrong like I thought I was the problem I was the bad one for leaving um and then as soon as I got back and I was in my car driving from the airport 
And my friend Bonnie in LA gave me a list of resources and there was only a handful of like five psychotherapists and therapists who were specialized in cults. And four of them were on the West Coast and one was in New York. And I thought, well, he's on my time zone. So I called him and he picked up right away. And so Dan Shaw, he's like, he has a book. He travels around North America and does talks and, you know, he's been in it for 20 years. He was in a cult for 20 years. Amazing man. And I would never be able to afford him. But I just, I told him what the cult was. I Keith and he knew because he lived in New York and he's done so much research. He didn't, he didn't know the ins and outs of it, but he had heard of it. And he slid the scale for me. Wow. And I remember feeling so much relief on the phone. I was just like, I need, I need help. Like, I don't know what just happened, but this is who I was involved with and I'm not well. So I saw him for a year and once a week. And I never like, I never really knew what compassion actually was until I had therapy with him. Like he helped me so much. Just like I could just let it all out, you know? And once uh, Catherine Oxenberg, who her daughter was heavily in the cult, like she's, she's like, um, she was really high up in the DOS. So Catherine was one of the people who was like trying to expose Keith and um, she had a lot of pull with the media. Anyway, she had a fund to fund all people who are exiting to have therapy. So oh, she's wow. had a fund for everybody to see this Dan, Dan Shaw. Oh my God. So, so yeah, so the therapy was a huge part of the deprogramming, but also removing every trigger in my life. Like no relationships that cause any kind of emotional roller coaster. I needed stability and predictability because those four years were such like keep created chaos for a reason so that you were so distracted that you, he put you in a, in a situation in your environment that you had to be in survival mode. So you wouldn't question anything. Yeah. You know, so you, you work 18 hours a day. You never knew when the next train, sorry, go ahead. And I remember you had said like not knowing, um, or not like eating enough, like keeping you (laughs) kind of like restricting your diet or like keeping the food intake down as like a method of thinking that you're going through personal growth, but it's actually just like Mm -hmm. a mind control tactic. Yes. And not just women, but anyone, you put anyone on a low calorie diet, no sleep, you are going to be vulnerable. You can't think clearly. You're a zombie. So I remember figuring out a formula for my body to stay awake. Like I, because we get calls at 2 a.m. to go into meetings. So I used to go for runs at three in the morning. And like, I figured out what to eat, how much to eat and what time to like get to stay awake. Wow. Crazy. So yeah, it's a, it was a number of things to deprogram, but the therapy was definitely the first and major step. Yeah. Also, um, 
interviewing with the FBI and the assistant attorney general, that was the first time that I really could like say all the stuff that I saw and experienced with no filter because I was too embarrassed to share anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And that interview was like six hours. Like, I don't even think I got up to use the bathroom. It was so intense. And I'm not trying to toot my own horns or anything, but because I had done a lot of emotional work at that point, they were like, you know, when you leave here, make sure that you get some sessions with Dan and just be, you know, a lot of stuff comes up for people after these interviews. And I was like, okay, okay. And then I left, but I, I felt totally free after that. I just like, it gave me hope for the system for one, because these people were like, they were bringing Keith down, you know, I know the cream of the crop through the EDNY they can pick, they have dibs on any case in the U S and it just felt so good to let all like the dirty details, you know? So that felt like closure for me. That's great. And like talking to the people who have testified in the last few weeks in Keith's trial, like I know it's just been the hardest thing they've ever had to do in their life. Like beyond. Did they say that they felt relief after or no, it was just hard? Majorly, majorly, major relief. But like the prep that they put you through to like get on the stand and then you know, that cross-examination from the other side is, that's tough. Oh, God. So, anyway, that's thinking ahead. So, but it, I, I feel good that, like, everything I knew in my gut is true. It's sad that it's way worse than I even thought it was. Yeah. But it feels scary. Yeah. What do you mean scary or why scary that you were in that? It's scary that to realize that I was in that much danger. Yeah. And then, like, I don't, there's part of me that wants to just, like, you know, share my story and maybe that'll help people. But it also is so personal and and. Like, I don't want to expose myself. Right. I'm just kind of like, you know, when I meet people, it's like I always feel like that's hanging over me. Yeah. And I tried to hide it for so long, and I think people always felt like there's something that she's not saying. There's a piece of the story she's not sharing. Yeah. And people have told me that. And then once I tell them, they're like, wow, that makes so much sense now. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think, just given, sorry, go ahead. Just like, I don't know. I mean, so many interactions, you know, when you meet someone, I'm assuming you're talking mostly about people who you meet, like new people, right? Yeah. Like, and job can, interviews and stuff like that. Relationships, dates. Right. So like not yeah. people who are close to you and who you've shared this with, but no. like, I can't imagine, I mean, you, you meet people and you're like, you know, people ask the typical questions, like, what do you do? You know, mm-hmm. you go to school, like whatever. And it's like, there's this major thing that is like ever present. Like it's, it's mm-hmm. in you, like it is still in you to the point where you're not working and you're sleeping 12 hours a day and all that. And mm-hmm. how do you have an authentic conversation, which I think is still important for you, 
but without like getting right into this, like, yeah, this, this trauma is you right now. Yes. It feels even weird to hear you say that. Yeah, I know. I saw your eyebrows twitch. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, cause there's part of me that's like, no, just like put it in a box. I don't want to deal with it anymore. I just want to move on with my life. But more, the more I try to move forward and do what I used to be able to do, it's like we were talking about the other day, the universe just like puts me right in my tracks. I can't I even like make plans right now because I just have to go with what I feel. Which on another note is beautiful because I lost that connection to my like gut feeling yeah. and that intuitiveness because that's like beaten out of you. Yeah. And I'm slowly starting to gain that back. Yeah. And that's yeah. Like, always been a strength of yours is like, you are, you are very gut feeling. Like that's all I've ever, there's two things that I think of with you. Well, three things. One is your curiosity and your secretness, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, kind of what led you down these paths. Um, but the other thing is your gut feeling and like, trying to tell you to do something that's against your gut feeling is like trying to push like a big ox, like you, you get stubborn. And then that's the third thing is like your stubbornness and you're like, I am going to do this and I don't care what anyone says. And so you're either doing it because you follow your gut or because you're like, I'm doing this no matter what my body says and I'm going to do it. I'm going to get it done. And you've got this like other mode that you do. And those three things are amazing qualities but like in the wrong combination, they can almost like mm-hmm. hurt each other or, you know, not get you in a situation where you think that you're supposed to put all this in a box and, and, and turn it away. And you could do that. You can be like, I've got mm-hmm. these blinders on, I'm going to get my life back together. But your gut feeling is that it, I think, is that it's still present. It's still in you. It is. Yeah. Like. The way that I deal with it now when I, I've recently found some humor in it, like in the yoga community in Sydney, I don't know how we got on the conversation, but I just kind of made a joke. I was like, well, I was in a cult. So, you know, and we laughed, she's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, I was, I was like, it's such a crazy story. I'll tell, I'll share it with you sometime, but that's kind of why I'm, you know, going through whatever I'm going through right now. And she's like, that's so interesting. She's like, I would love to hear it. How but it was you? like a really, I felt great. It was like, it felt free, you know? And more recently I had a big conversation with my dad just a couple weeks ago and we talked for like two hours and I, sh- I just, cause we never really talked about it. It's just kind of like, it was there, but we never really, I never got into it with them because really what father wants to know yeah. that his daughter was being groomed into a sex cult. Like, no father wants to hear that. Anyway, I had a major conversation with dad, and that was such a relief. He just sat there, and he listened, and he asked questions, and I just, I didn't feel like he was judging me, and that was amazing. That was something that was weighing on me, too. Like, you know, you go through, I went through for so long, like, what are people going to think? Are people going to, like... You know, because people are like, how could you be involved in something like that? Like, did you not see the signs? So then immediately I know that person doesn't get it. They're not, they don't understand that process of how that works. 
and I'm not going to sit there and try to defend myself or explain it. So I just let it go. Yeah. It's the Pete. Now I think I have a better radar for it. Now that I have a deeper understanding of myself, I can tell if the person is going to be receptive and accepting or not. Right. And so I choose who to share it with. So, or I keep it light. Yeah. Well, that's what I was just going to say. Like, do you think it's like a matter of choosing the voice that you're going to share it with? Cause like that humor tone is very like, I mean, I feel like Lindsay, you've got a few things in your life where you're just like, yeah, I did this. And you just like throw it off there and people are like, Oh my God, that's crazy. Like, you yeah. know, like you've done some adventurous things and mm-hmm. you know, this was uh, one of them to say the least. Right. And so mm-hmm. you can like throw these like little, like lob these out and then sort of see mm-hmm. what people respond and how they respond and then you can go deeper into it with people who really care to learn about it or yeah Yeah. you know like you have that power to choose your voice like or the tone I I guess like that yeah yeah Yeah, if I I kind of know where I'm at with it like some days you know and everybody I'm not trying to say that my situation is unique more than others everybody has struggles and some days are harder to get through. And when I'm in those down days, it's like, fuck, I'm not going to talk about it. You know? Yeah. It's like, depends where I'm at with it. Like I, that day with that woman I was talking with, you know, I made a joke and she laughed and we both laughed and it was, it felt great. Yeah. Um, but if I'm dating, like if, if the date, if I'm seeing a guy for longer than two weeks, I kind of pick into, I've, I had to go through that in Vancouver, like, okay, it's time to tell them. Yeah. And I do think people need to be educated about it because, like, it's not really, first of all, cults, that, um, that model of how cults are built is actually everywhere in different levels. And that's, like, a whole other thing we could get into. And then the other side of it is the relationship of being abused and that, you know, a traumatic narcissist, sociopath. There's different levels of that that's everywhere. And I think, I mean, you're a scientist of, you study the mind, and I know you know all that. So it's like, there's people need to be educated on that. I know. Yeah. I agree. That's, this obviously was such an extreme case. So yeah, I guess it back to what you were saying, like it's in me. There's part of me that wants to just avoid that. Like the positive, yes, I want to take that with me, but there's a dark side to it that I'm just like, fuck, I don't want to deal with this. You know? I know. Ah. <sighs> But there's a part of you that knows you you can't get away from it, right? No. So right now, with all of the downtime I have, I'm starting to get impatient. Like, when's this going to be over? Is it ever going to be over? Right. You know, is, this, is all these charges and everything going to go on for the next few years? Like, how much more do I have to deal with this? When can I just move on? Yeah. I mean, I guess, like, yeah. if you're, like, if your sort of personal goal is to 
rid yourself of this completely, then it might be unrealistic. But if your goal is like something like having it transform, like, cause it's, it's a story. It's, it's your story. Right. And mm-hmm. that's great. Like it's a memory. Like it literally is, it's in your brain and it's, it's in your body. And so maybe the goal is to uh, just have it transform. So it doesn't sit so heavy, you know? That's a really good point. Cause that's where I'm at now. It's like, okay, how do I, do I use this to like move forward and help people and, you know, make it a part of my career type thing? Yeah. Or do I just put it in a box, get a job, try to live a normal life? But I can't, I can't just live a normal life. It has to transform into something. Mm -hmm.